previous episodes, we've looked at the importance of locally grown food, the reasons people move to and around Metro Vancouver, the way our streets affect our quality of life, the various industries that employ us, and the creative spirit that breathes energy into our daily lives. It has been an enlightening experience, providing some valuable perspectives to the place I choose to call home. In each meeting though, there was always one thing connecting each person, even myself, and that's how housing and access to it plays a huge role in building and maintaining a livable region. Since moving here in 2007, the conversation around housing and affordability has increasingly moved to the forefront and seems to be at a tipping point. It raises the question, what will housing look like in the years to come? Are things truly as dire as we see in the news? Or is there hope for the future? I've sat down with four individuals who offer their own perspectives on living in Vancouver, Burnaby, and North Vancouver to try and answer these questions. The availability of rental stock has played a key role in housing affordability. Currently, the vacancy rate in Metro Vancouver is below 1%. In response, advocacy groups have popped up to speak on the issue and offer potential solutions. I sat down with two gentlemen behind one such organization and learned about their experiences as renters in Vancouver and what they see for the future of housing. I'm Daniel Lexiak. I'm with Abundant Housing Vancouver, and I live in Mount Pleasant. I'm Brendan Daw from Abundant Housing Vancouver, and I live in Hastings Sunrise. I've moved around a lot since I moved out of my parents' place. I was in Granby Woodland before that, and over the past years I've been in Toronto, Victoria, Canberra, Australia, Beijing. And one of the things I take from that is I've been welcomed in a lot of different cities and I value that in this city and its ability to welcome new people. So I'm in Mount Pleasant now and I'm hoping that Vancouver can stay welcoming in the way that I've been welcomed. There is such a variety when it comes to the types of rental properties people live in. So I asked Danny and Brendan about what home is for them. I'm in a 10-story rental building. It's all dedicated market rental. So for renting, it's a really stable situation, which is nice. I live in a four-story uh, condo I rent from uh, a lovely couple out in Delta. I've lived in a number of places before. You know, I used to live over in Quetzalano and a converted old single-family home that had been turned into a three-unit apartment. It's been good. It's been relatively straightforward. I, I feel like I've been very lucky with my living situation in terms of having a reasonable landlord who's fairly proactive about repairs and maintenance. And But I, you know, not everyone has sort of lucked out in that way. Brendan told me he grew up in California and moved up here for school, eventually deciding to stay when he met his wife. Danny's experience is a little different, but likely similar to many young people in the city. I was born in Toronto. My family moved out here when I was about four, so it wasn't my decision. I can imagine my parents came out though because housing was affordable and Vancouver was a dreamy city in the 90s from what I remember of it. It doesn't feel like the same city now though that I moved to. Maybe it's just growing up, but I think it really is a different city. 
What was it that inspired them to start Abundant Housing? I always enjoy, as a housing goal, framing it in the context of I want there to be more competition for my landlord. Abundant Housing sort of started last summer online. You know, a bunch of Twitter sniping converse, and you know, why don't we do something about this? And so we started showing up to rezoning hearings, started organizing, got a group of people together to collect emails and get together and over coffee and beer and, and start talking about ways in which we could try to make the city more accommodating for more people. I was really frustrated by what's happening in the city. Friends keep moving away. I'm afraid of climate change. I don't want to be one of those people who's all talk and no action. And I found that getting involved in housing advocacy kind of ticked all those boxes all at once. And I always kind of wonder whether it's a chicken or, or an egg question, whether politicians don't tend to represent renters' interests because renters don't vote as much, or renters don't tend to vote because there aren't a lot of politicians representing renters' interests. But there's an awful lot of renters in Vancouver, and I'm looking forward to some politician taking a flyer on it saying, hey, if I offer renters something, maybe they'll turn out for me. Aside from showing up to council meetings, what else is the group doing to amplify the voices of renters? What we've been doing is, is reaching out to people, trying to get people together, trying to put that conversation out into the news. We've been organizing walking tours. You know, we've been trying to get the point out there that there's a lot that we as a society do that is restraining our ability to find a, a reasonable rent, to find a reasonable place to live in a lot of places, and like to see something more about it. It's a new message, the idea that internationally in the states they call it the yimby movement right and it's the idea that's largely motivated by going to public hearings and seeing established homeowners show up and fight new housing again and again there's this sort of imbalance a building affects people around it and they show up but the effect on people who benefit from that building from there being more housing for hundreds of people is much more diffuse and, and less concrete and so i think the process is imbalanced against advocating for more housing, and that was a big motivation for, for starting this. I asked them to tell me, honestly, if they think the housing situation in the region is really that bad. It's not going to surprise anyone to hear that I think it's pretty terrible. I also think it could and probably will get a lot worse. This is not as bad as it can be. You look at some other cities and it's already much worse. And there's no saying that's as bad as it can get. So. The scale of our solutions hasn't matched the scale of our problems, and I have hope that we can get it together, that the crisis will provoke us to do something, but it's not going to fix itself, and it could get a lot worse. What is it that makes the situation so dire? Is it simply rising housing prices, or is there more to it? I would say two big policies probably are in the way. One is the tax code giving major preference to home ownership over renting. And the second is zoning giving major preference to low-density single-family housing over multifamily rental-type forms. So, is there hope? One of the things I do take hope on with respect to the rental housing market is that we are building multiple times more purpose-built rentals than we did for decades and decades. For now, I ask them what they see for the future of abundant housing. Abundant housing is getting larger every day. You show people a map of just how much the city is zoned in such a way that it's illegal for them to effectively live there, and they see the problem. And they put their email down, they start coming out to events, and it's been a rapidly growing thing, I think. After Abundant Housing Vancouver got started and started mobilizing, you started seeing, for instance, Yes in New West, which is 
you know, pushing a lot of the same sort of issues in New Westminster. Despite the challenges, do Brendan and Danny think they'll stay in Vancouver? I can see myself living in Vancouver, but I really don't know if I can make it work in the long run. Yeah, it's really hard to think about the future in this city. For me, a lot of it's about friends and social connections. I grew up here, so I know a lot of people in this city. and A lot of them are leaving all the time. I like to joke that we either stay here or we all leave together. I have some dream of some great trek to some other place where we can still all be together. But no, long term, raising a family, it's hard enough to raise a one bedroom. I'm, I'm, I'm not sure how it looks with a family five or ten years from now. The availability of affordable rentals is a clear issue, and solutions are formulating on how to deal with it. One such solution has actually existed for decades. Cooperative housing, or co-ops, provide affordable housing to many individuals and families all over Metro Vancouver, including both my own family and members of the crew of this podcast. I was fortunate to speak with someone who has lived in and advocated for co-ops since the 80s and learn about her experiences in this popular, community-based form of housing. Hello, my name is Catherine Porter. I'm a past president of the Cooperative Housing Federation of British Columbia. I live in Pine Ridge Housing Cooperative in Burnaby Mountain, and I've lived there for the last 34 years. Shortly after she moved here from Toronto, Catherine's marriage broke down, and she found herself a single mom in need of low-cost housing. I was looking for a more affordable place to live, and so I looked into cooperative housing. I didn't know anything about any co-ops in the area at the time, and I contacted the Cooperative Housing Federation of British Columbia, and they said that there were several being built on Burnaby Mountain, and so I went to the meeting to find out about it. But quite frankly, I would have taken anywhere. I was on the first elected board of directors while the project was being built, and I moved in in November of 1982, as soon as it was completed. There are currently over 200 housing co-ops across Metro Vancouver, and 2,100 across Canada. But how does that compare to other countries? Canada is tiny in comparison to other countries that have millions of people living in housing cooperatives throughout the world. I asked Catherine if there are factors that have affected the popularity of cooperative housing. One of the issues with cooperative housing, I think, is that the general public really do not understand what housing cooperatives are about. They see them all as social housing and and think they just house poor people. But in actual fact, it's a mixed income community where people pool their resources to better their living conditions. And it would be really nice to make sure that people understand that housing cooperatives are very viable options for affordable housing in Vancouver and everywhere else in the world. I remember telling someone that I lived in cooperative housing and they said, why would you do that? You will never own it. And I said, I don't need to own it. I have a place that's secure, that's great to live, that has a wonderful community. Why would I want to go and move into a house and live totally on my own? I think if people understood what they get and the benefits of living cooperatively, I think more people would look for it. We don't have a problem keeping our units filled. What would she say are the benefits of living in a co-op? They provide quality accommodation at a reasonable cost. They offer security, 
The members are part of a community where the neighbours look out for each other. It's not for everyone, but I think most people would enjoy living in a co-op. It was certainly the most perfect place to bring up a child because, you know, they had to live as a community and it taught my son cooperation and tolerance because it's a very diverse community. We've had waves of different kinds of immigrants coming through. Some have stayed, some moved on later on. But he met so many different people and I think I couldn't have had a more perfect place. And also it takes a village to raise a child and that's exactly what happened. Are there any other perks? I would say that one of the benefits, too, of, of moving into a housing cooperative is that it's pet-friendly. Our co-op, in particular, allows up to two four-legged pets. I'm sure there are a few people that sneak in one more, but <laughs> in general, we're very pet-friendly. And co-ops, in general, tend to be pet-friendly as well. Does Catherine think this model for housing has been a good thing? I would say that cooperatives have been an enormous success. They were simply built as a means of providing affordable housing, and with government providing subsidies for lower-income members, it meant that almost anyone could live in a cooperative. Unfortunately, there are not that many of them relative to other kinds of housing, so it's not as easy to get in as it could be. And it could be made a lot easier by building more housing cooperatives, of course. With rising land values and increased development, there is some concern over the future of co-ops, especially those that are aging. I asked Catherine if she felt that cooperative housing is under threat of disappearing. The co-ops that are established, I think, especially the ones that are on freehold property, are going to continue. The concern are those that are on leased land from the city, but I believe that the Cooperative Housing Federation is actually negotiating on behalf of those cooperatives, and I think they will continue into the future. It's such an obvious way to house people affordably that I really do think that they will continue. What we do need is the government to continue the subsidies to cooperatives so that they can afford to getting people who have lower income. Cooperatives are mixed income. It's not all one size fits all. So we do need those subsidies so that we can actually give units to people who would not be able to pay the market rate. Aside from being an affordable place to live and a great place for her son to grow up, what else has living in a co-op meant to her? I moved into the co-op in 1982 and was joined by my current husband of 36 years. He joined us in 1990. My husband and I, of course, have lots of friends there, and both of us are very involved with the operations of the co-op itself. So we serve on the board and the various committees and so on. We know our neighbors. We interact in positive ways. Now, this doesn't mean that everyone gets on with everybody else all the time. It is a microcosm of society. But in general, people get along, and ultimately, we make collective decisions in the best interests of everyone. This is much more than just a place to live, you know. It's also a supportive and diverse community, and we enjoy living there. We don't think we'll be going anywhere anytime soon. <laughs> Although a large number of people in the Lower Mainland are renters, there is still a desire for many to own their property and build up equity. But with average home prices well over a million dollars, for most, buying is simply out of reach. To address this, some, like Mackenzie, have found a creative way to get onto the real estate ladder. And it's not all about having their own piece of land. 
My name is Mackenzie Stonehawker. I'm one of the founding members of Driftwood Village Co-housing, and I live in East Vancouver. My family and I, we've lived in Vancouver for five years. We spent the first year downtown, and then four years ago we moved between Fraser and Maine, and we've been renting a house there since then. My husband works downtown, he commutes by bike, and I used to work at the city of Vancouver, and now I work from home on co-housing. Co-housing is a relatively new term, so I asked Mackenzie to explain what it is. Co-housing is a form of housing where the future residents plan and design and build the project all themselves. In BC, the legal structure is a strata, so everyone owns their own home with their own kitchen, laundry, bedrooms, everything a normal townhouse or condo would have. But you also have access to this shared space with your neighbours that you and your neighbours have actually planned and designed together to have the functions that you want it to have. So that's usually a big kitchen for parties or potlucks, guest suite, a kid's playroom or workshop, bike storage, all the things that really work better to be shared. That sounds very similar to a condo community to me, but she assures me it's not. It's different than a condo. In co-housing, the amenities are all an extension of your living space. So a lot of the advantages are social. As a parent of young kids, there's going to be other kids there. And so when kids are small, they have the run of the complex together. They gain independence that way. Co-housing has a huge appeal for baby boomers because they grew up in the 60s and they have this idea of community and they have those ideals, they're looking at where they would downsize. They don't see the appeal of living in a condo or they don't know their neighbours. At the best of times, it's a social network, but if needed, it's a support network. Surprisingly, co-housing has existed as an option in BC for a while. The first co-housing project in BC was Windsong, and that was built, I think, around 1996. And recently we've seen a big uptick in interest in co-housing. All of these forming groups have hundreds of people on our email lists. And all of the existing communities have wait lists of people that if someone moves out, they're excited to move in. So what made Mackenzie decide that co-housing was right for her family? We did a bit of research and at that point they didn't have room for our family and we were looking to be on the North Shore in the very long run anyways. So I did a bit of research into what could be needed to start a co-housing group. My background is as an urban planner, so it was a little bit less scary to think of doing a development. And at that time, our second kid was born and my husband and I couldn't imagine bringing our kids up without community. We knew that that was the right solution for our family. We are searching for a site in North Vancouver on the North Shore. Right now I live in East Vancouver, but when we started thinking about co-housing and where we'd like to live for the very long term, we wanted to be closer to nature and closer to the edge of all of these people, and that brought us to the North Shore. She explained what the process is like of getting started and going from the idea to the reality. The main challenge for any co-housing group is timing, in that you have to have enough people at the right time commit to the group that they will buy the land together and do the development. In this real estate market, the price of land compounds that problem, because as a group, we have to have about $3 million for our down payment. 
so you can't do that with just one or two interested households. Finding the right zoning is very challenging. In the city of Vancouver, they have a policy that specifically supports co-housing in certain areas, and so that gives a little window of opportunity in Vancouver. In the city of North Vancouver, they don't have anything that speaks specifically to co-housing. They have general support for co-housing because they have this existing community that's really vibrant and has all of the ideals that the city is working for. Having worked as a planner for the city of Vancouver, Mackenzie revealed that she can understand the slow movement to adopt new policies. I sympathize with the planners and the politicians because they know they're going to have backlash anytime anything new or different or multifamily goes in. But on the other hand, they're working with a planning document that was approved before real estate prices got so high. At this point, there's no government initiatives for co-housing as a form of development. Mackenzie and her group have been searching for a parcel of land to build on for several months. Dealing with overpricing, zoning, and deals falling through would cause most people to throw in the towel. Yeah, we've been on a bit of a roller coaster. We've been looking for a site since September, but going through that roller coaster makes the group stronger. And I think what keeps the group going is the group itself. Our future building will not necessarily look like the one we saw in our workshop, but it gave us faith that we would be happy to live in something like that. Despite the slower process, how does she see this as a solution to some of the housing concerns? To benefit more people, we need more co-housing communities. And there's a lot of interest in urban areas. If you're going to be living in a smaller house with more neighbours close by, it's great if you know those neighbours and you have that connection to them. Two years in, what has the impact been on her family? The impact on our family has been positive and negative, of course, because we spend a lot of our time and energy working on this future community. And in the end, when we move into this future community, that effort is really going to pay off. But in the near term, I do feel less connected to my existing community because there's only so many hours in the day. I think it'll be worth it, though. Speaking with Danny, Brendan, Catherine, and Mackenzie, I can see that housing concerns in Metro Vancouver are not going to be a quick fix. It will take a variety of solutions that will benefit people of all ages and incomes. With increasing advocacy for renters, as well as attention being drawn to more community-based living, such as co-ops and co-housing, it does look like there is hope for those who want to stay here. For my family, Vancouver has become a place of comfort, and despite where we travel in the world, we feel a deep sense of belonging whenever we return. It's where my children have grown up, where we formed meaningful friendships, and it's the only place my husband and I have lived where it feels like home. The cost of housing is a cause for worry, and I wonder if our time in this city has an expiry date, but I am hopeful that together with those who are connected to this place, it will continue to be somewhere that feeds, supports, welcomes, and inspires us.
The Straight and Narrows is a collaboration by Modacity and is written and produced by Chris Bruntlett and myself, Melissa Bruntlett. A very big thanks to Christophe Prevo, our sound engineer and editor, Todd LeBlanc, our marketing director, David Fu, and our music supervisor, Gina Less. This episode has featured songs by O Village, an alternative indie quartet from Abbotsford, BC.